Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Are we all well? Oh, a little bit. Okay. I've had a bit of a rough week, to be honest. I've had tonsillitis. So um, if my voice goes at any point or even squeaks a little bit, please accept my apologies uh, in advance. Um, this is also the first time I've preached outside the context of an all-age service. So this is the first time I've been kind of let loose on the adults, which is nice. Um, it was quite tempting to, to kind of to, to think about what to, prepare, what, what to prepare for this week is to dig into an old sermon that you lot would not have heard uh, and just repeat it. And um, I felt in the end that God was sent to do something slightly different, even from that and from what I would normally do. Um, and so, although the young people are with us today and the kids are outside, it's great to be let loose on you um, older, more mature Christians here today. Um, I'll try not to treat you like children, if that's okay. So boys and girls, could you turn in your Bibles, please? Um, <laughs> So Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll start there today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to start reading at verse 4, and the words should be on the screen as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen. So just to give you a bit of context to this passage, Moses has taken the people out of slavery in Egypt and he has gathered all the people together and they're about to go into the promised land. So this is a very significant time in the life of the people of Israel, about the Israelites, the Hebrews. They're about to go into this new land that they've been promised 40 years ago and beyond. The land that God had given them to inherit. And he is at the cusp of about to enter this land with the people. He's going to bring them all together. And what he does is he reads to them all the laws and the commandments that God has given them. And he summarizes them all in these words that we've just read. In Judaism, these words are called the Shema. And they are probably the most important words that a Jewish person will know. They are the first words that a child is taught when they're, when they're going to school. They are um, to be said by every Jewish person twice a day by law. And they are the final things that they are to say when they are about to pass away into the next life. They are found in the New Testament as well. Jesus is telling the story of the, the Good Samaritan and uh, he says these words, or these words are asked of him. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So these are really, really important words. Do this and you will live. These are the key, Jesus says, to eternal life. If you can keep the law and the commandments, and if you can uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with all of your being, essentially, then you can have eternal life. In the, um, in the Old Testament, this was such an important time that the book of Deuteronomy it's the second book of the law is what that translates as. And it's basically a retelling of all of what's gone before. And that the Israelites are ready to go into the new land. And Moses is giving them really important things to kind of think about and pass on as they go. The thing is, Moses never made it into the promised land. Moses didn't make it. In the end, he passed it on to his apprentice, if you like, Joshua. And I've been thinking through the Bible and thinking of 
different occasions where you find someone passing something on to somebody else, like a mentor and an apprentice, if you like, someone discipling someone. And I can think of Moses and Joshua. I can think of uh, possibly Elijah and Elisha. Um, Jesus was pretty good at this sort of thing with his disciples, uh, passing things on to them, mentoring them. Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy. But we don't see very many successions that go beyond one or two generations. And so what I want to talk about today was about passing on the baton to the next generation. Moses has laid out these laws and reminded the people of the most important thing is to love the Lord your God and to pass that on to the next generation. He says, impress these words on your children. Impress these words on your children. So what I want to talk about today is about leaving a, a legacy, passing things on to the next generation, passing on the baton to those who are going to come after us. And as the youth and kids minister here, it's, it's kind of natural for me to talk about kids and youth. But what I thought I would do is actually talk a little bit about myself, because having been here for a year and having not really had the opportunity, I'm sure most of you, unless you have children in the kids' work or a part of the team, you don't really know that much about me. Um, and some of you might not even have a clue who I am. So I thought we'd try and fill that in today. I thought I'd give you a bit of my background, and hopefully that will help you to understand a little bit about where I'm coming from with this passing on the baton and um, where my passion for youth and kids ministry has come from. So um, I don't do this very often, so bear with me. I was born in Belfast in 1982, which was an interesting time, as most of you will be aware. Um, it was the, the, the height of the Northern Ireland Troubles. Um, to be honest, we weren't affected that much by what was going on. Um, we lived in what was called a safe area. And the reason we lived in a safe area was because my, my dad is from a Catholic background and my mum is from a Protestant background. And, and that just wasn't the done thing. It still isn't, uh, really. You, you didn't do that. And as a result, they, they not only lost all their friends when they fell in love and got married, um, they also had to move into a completely new area. And the, the entire area was made up of people who were either part of the police or the security forces. So it was, a, it was a designated safe area. It wasn't in a Catholic area, it wasn't in a Protestant area. It was a, a new, brand new building estate on the edge of town in the south of Belfast uh, where people could live in safety. And uh, apparently the convention was that there was a special knock on the window that if you didn't hear that knock on the window before you answered the door, you didn't answer the door. You had to know that the people there were friendly. And so we had a bit of a secret code. But by the time I, I was born and, and, um, and was, was living with my parents in that area, most of the people that moved on from the police and security forces, they moved into different areas. And uh, the, their houses have been bought by a, a whole plethora of different people. And we ended up in what is now a mixed area. So we live side by side with Protestant families and side by side with Catholic families. And uh, my sister and I, we went to the local school, which just so happened to be a Protestant school. Um, we went to the local Sunday school because that was mandatory in those days. If you went to primary school, you had to go to Sunday school on a Sunday. And we went to the local Presbyterian church. It was the nearest one to the house. That was the only reason why we went to that particular church. Um, and every year, they, the church there, plus three other churches, four in total around the local area, they had a holy Bible club. Um, something that what we would probably experience and, and recognize here. So a holy Bible club, but it was called SISM. C-S-S-M, which was an acronym that stood for Children's Seaside Mission. The problem was we were about 20 miles inland uh, from the seaside uh, in South Belfast. I mean, there was, there's lots of coasts throughout Northern Ireland. It's a very beautiful place. Nigel and Joe are there at the moment uh, exploring. And uh, the, the, the coast, though, was, was a good 20 miles away. So they couldn't call it Seaside Mission. They had to change it to something else. So they came up with the wonderful Children's Special Service Mission. They just don't make names like that anymore, do they? Children's Special Service Mission. 
And funnily enough, it was at a, a children's special service mission, a SISM meeting, 20 years ago today, that I became a Christian for the first time. <laughs> Don't need applause. <laughs> it's Chris's actual birthday today. It's my spiritual birthday today. So 20 years ago today, I found the date in, in an old Bible when I was clearing out the office a few weeks ago. Uh, and it all came back to me. So it was the 14th of August. It was a Wednesday. Um, I was sitting, I can tell you exactly where I was sitting, who I was sitting with. Um, the, the, the small group that we were in, the leader who was leading us, the, the activities we were doing. And I decided at that point to give my life to Jesus for the first time. I'd been going to Sunday school, but I'd never made a decision to actually follow Jesus before. Um, I wasn't really that interested, really. Um, what changed my mind, and this is the important thing, what changed my mind was not the really fancy program of the Holy Bible Club and the great decorations or the drama or the teaching or the stories that they were telling or the fact that I had my best mates with me in my group. It was actually the leader of my small group. He was the key person in me. And the reason, the reason why there was something special about him is because he had something that I wanted. He had this kind of relationship with his, his teammates and he had this relationship um, with other people. And this way of, of living and being that was so radically different to the rest of society that I wanted what he had. Whatever it was you've got, I want to know what it is. And the rest of the team had it as well. They had this kind of community together. Whatever it is these people have, I want a piece of that. And so I asked, what, what is it? Why are you different? Why are you a bit weird? <laughs> why are you a bit strange? Why, why do you have this kind of spark of life about you? And so he explained to me it was because he followed Jesus. He had a relationship with God. And because he had a relationship with God, he wanted God to have a relationship with me as well. And he wanted to pass on what he'd been given uh, so that I could receive that too. A few years beyond that, I was able to become a leader in SISM itself. So when I was about 16, 17, I started to become a leader. And I did about five or six years of leading every summer in SISM. It was probably the first uh, environment where I had to explore my leadership abilities, to have my own little group. Um, it was split boys and girls in those days, so I had my own little group of boys to look after and to, to nurture and to try and disciple. And it was really great that, that we had this kind of procession of, of my leader to me, to these boys in this group. I had been given responsibility for this little group of boys. And it was also a really good time to kind of experience preaching for the first time, speaking, leading activities and groups, um, being in dramas and things like that. I, I really didn't like dramas. I still don't like dramas. Um, or action songs. As a children's leader, I admit, I, I have a loathing of action songs. Um, but we were, we were back in Northern Ireland for a holiday two weeks ago, Louise and I, or three weeks ago now, and um, season was still going. It was still happening in the same places, in the same churches, sometimes the same people. We recognised quite a lot of people, and we had the pleasure of bringing Aaron and Amy, our little girls, uh, and booking them in for a couple of mornings. And, and as we went in the first morning, I recognised quite a few of the faces, but one of the faces I recognised was one of these boys who used to be in that group that I led all those years ago for the first time. And now I find he's the co-leader of that particular section of this Holy Bible Club. And I was kind of really struck by that. And I've been doing youth and kids ministry for, uh, well, 12 years professionally, shall we say. And the thing that really keeps me going all the time is when I meet young people, children who've become youth, who've become young people, or young adults, who are living their lives in the most amazing ways for Jesus. That's what kind of really keeps me going. Because I see that... I might have had a very small impact or some small influence, but they're doing amazing things because of, of, of what God's doing in their lives. They're serving him in such amazing ways. 
And so it was great when we went back a few weeks ago to see Neil, to, to remember the little boy he was, uh, and to also see the, the guy who was my team leader uh, in those previous years as well, to see that relationship of, of Alan to myself to, to Neil uh, and how that had kind of drip-fed through one generation down to the next, down to the next, but passing on the baton. So, a bit of Hebrew for you. Do you like Hebrew? <laughs> Chris says yes. <laughs> okay, there are two Hebrew words in the Bible for the word family. One of them is bahith. You probably have these up on the, on the screen, please, guys, if that's okay. So these commandments I've given you today, you to uh, keep them in your hearts and press them on your children. The first word for family is bahith. And this is the concept that we would call our kind of nuclear family, our, our mum, dad and kids and maybe auntie, uncles and grandparents. This is the, the, the context in which the child was taught the Shema for the first time. They would be taught the Shema by their parents. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, etc. They would be taught this by their parents. The stories would be passed on of, of Moses and what had happened and, uh, and the whole story of the first five books of the Bible would be learnt off by heart in the context of the family, of mum and dad passing on what they had learnt to their children. The second word for family in the Old Testament is another Hebrew word called mishpakah. And mishpakah is a bit different. Mishpakah is like an extended family. And what would happen in the, the Old Testament times is when, when um, the son got married, the, the spouse would move in with the son and they would build their own house beside their parents' house and each of the brothers would do the same and we'd have all these people kind of coming together to one place. New houses being built around the family home. And so you've got this entire community um, of, of of related people, but also uh, um, their, their livestock would be there. They'd have their servants there as well living with them. You'd almost have possibly a couple of hundred people living together in this community. And that's how little villages and hamlets and things grew in those days. People would move into their family area, into accommodation, uh, adjacent to their family home. And each of these families would have a collective responsibility to develop the learning of their kids, of their children, of the people and their responsibility. You see this again in Acts 5, where all the disciples come together and share. So just like uh, with, with the nuclear family, we have um, mum and dad, two kids, etc. 2.4 kids doesn't really exist anymore. But um, what, we would, we, what we would recognize is that the normal family, we also have an extended family. So while our, our Bahith family is our, our immediate family, the Mishpachah is more like church. It's a community of people who are gathered together to com- communally follow God hear what he's saying for them to do, and to pass that on to the next generation, have a responsibility to pass that, communicate that faith to the next generation. Um, You know the African proverb, it takes an entire village to raise up a child? Well, it takes up an entire church to raise up an army of young believers as well. And and we have such amazing plans here, such big plans here for our youth and kids at Winvin. Um, Do you know we have got 140 children coming regularly? We've doubled our monthly attendance in the last year and just our kids. Um, we, we're about to start a new youth group because we've got so many youth. Apologies to the youth who are here who didn't know that yet. Um, but next month we're going to split into two groups. We, we're about to, to, to kit out two extra rooms so that we've got room for the amount of children who are coming along. We are not short of space. We are short of people. We're short of people. We've probably got about half the number of people we need to run what we're currently doing just on a Sunday morning, and, and that's not including things like outreach activities that we'd love to do, because we realise that there are people outside of our Christian families and people outside of our church families that have no connections with God, and we want to try and reach them as well. 
But at the moment, we're just about struggling to keep going with what we've got on a Sunday morning, just looking after our own as it is. And so what we need is we need people who are willing to be positive role models for the next generation. We need people who might not necessarily see it as their particular area of ministry or their gifting, but who are willing to sacrifice maybe one Sunday a month just to come and spend some time with the young people and in their activities to help them to to, to be able to, to hear what it is that is going on uh, in the world around them, to be able to interact with, with children and youth. What we need is people who are willing to see what they've been given and what they've received from God, that love from God they've received, and, and say to the next generation, this is what you can have as well. Um, can I just do a straw poll? How many of you came to faith, would you say, but just by show of hands, uh, before you were 18? Wow, Okay. Statistically, in the United States, apparently, 9 out of 10 people come to faith before they're 18. In this country, it's closer to kind of two-thirds. Two-thirds of people come to faith before they're 18. Can I also say, could you put your hand up if there was a significant person or a series of people who had a really big impact on you? Wow, see, fantastic, okay. So the story that I've shared with you today is probably quite familiar, that someone has had an impact on your life that's made such a big significance that you've decided that you want a bit of what they've got that you want to follow them in, in the way that they are following God, and that you want to be able to pass that on to the next generation. I'm really passionate about kids and youth. I was a minister for three years in my previous church as a youth and children's worker, and then I became a youth and children's minister, and then I became the minister, but I still had a remit for the youth. I didn't want to give it up, um, because I realised that the importance of how we can grow churches is actually by putting energy and resources and people power into the kids that God has given us. We're so blessed here. Uh, I don't want to turn this into kind of an appeal for help, but we really do need more people. We really do need more people. And even if you're sitting here today, and actually, I, I get it that kids isn't your thing. Youth is not ever going to be your area of expertise. Think about this. Think about who is it that I'm discipling at the moment? Who am I passing the baton on to? I've loved watching the Olympics this last week. I've really been suckered into it the past couple of, of days. I, I stayed up far too late last night um, to watch Mo Farah and friends. Uh, and what we haven't seen yet is the relay race where they, they pass the baton on. I'm sure you're all very familiar with it. I used to have to do it in school where you know, you've got a team of four. One person starts off. They hold the baton. They do their lap or their set distance. They pass it on to the next person and carry it round. And uh, the British team a few years ago had a bit of a problem. They dropped the baton halfway. And, and what I would hear is for us as a church and as a community and as a group of believers is to drop the baton and not pass it on the whole way to complete the race. I just want to finish reading the, a kind of, a, well, I guess it's a story. I find this online. Um, and it's a story about passing on the baton. If we have the first picture up, that would be great, Mark. Thank you. So this is Edward Kimball. Anyone know Edward Kimball? No one knows Edward Kimball. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the influence and the impact of Edward Kimball. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the often rowdy boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord. If Kimball ever felt like giving up, he never talked about it. If you've ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that the experience can often be like herding cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shells and confronted him in the stockroom with the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was called Dwight Moody. Some might know him as D.L. Moody. 
In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with unsold thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Just a little aside about D.L. Moody. You might not be too familiar with his work or who he is, but um, D.L. Moody had a, a habit of praying for 100 people. He had a list of 100 people he prayed for them every day. Do you know that by the time he died, something like 92, 93 of them had come to faith in Jesus? Isn't that amazing, that commitment that he had to pray for those people? Apparently, those who had yet to come to faith, those six or seven, I can't remember the exact number, but those not in the 95 or six that he prayed for and had come to faith, they came to faith at his funeral. Isn't that amazing? Such, just such a commitment. So D.L. Moody had a big impact on those 100 people, but he spoke to thousands and thousands of people. The story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Let's have a look at Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist and he preached to thousands. One day, a professional baseball player had a day off and was attending one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, a man called Billy Sunday was converted. Got a picture of Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was so impacted by what he'd heard that uh, he, he started to do evangelistic missions of his own. And another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. There's Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, it says, this is interesting, a scholarly dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets to advertise his meetings. <laughs> Maybe that's something we should try, chaps. <laughs> scholarly dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets to advertise his meetings. When Mordecai Ham came to Charlotte in North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go to hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, eventually did go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school, and that male students were skipping lunch to visit that house. When students decided to go to interrupt the meetings in Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided that he would go and see what happened. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. This fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. If you're like most people, you've served in some capacity and wondered at times if you were making a real difference or not. Maybe you've thought about quitting because you didn't think you were making any difference. Next time that you're tempted to give up, remember Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was tremendously honoured by the Lord. The story would have looked very different if Edward Kimball did not take his Saturday to seek out the young Dwight Moody. The saying goes that you can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. Do your part today for the kingdom and trust God for the results. That's an online blog. Um, I'll put the address somewhere, probably if you can find it. It's a really interesting story. It's an amazing story, isn't it, about the impact that, that one person can have on another life, on another life, and then another life, and then another life, to finally someone like Billy Graham who has spoken to something like 2 billion people, live. He's got the world record for speaking to people uh, in, in the flesh, as it were. He's something like 98 years old. had a health update on him the other day. He's still going strong, uh, if, if, if quite frail, I guess, in physicality. But he's still preaching. He's still um, writing um, posts and things and messages to people. And he has had such a huge impact um, on quite a lot of the Western world. So that the Youth for Christ mission started here because of the, the preaching of Billy Graham when he came in his evangelistic crusades. D.L. Moody is also credited with speaking to about half of the globe at the time. 
half of the globe at the time. I, I don't know how they count that. Um, but, but such an amazing impact those few people have had. And probably if you keep going along that line of succession, you'll probably find yourself somewhere in there eventually about people who've been influenced by people who've been influenced by these people. All because one man, who was a Sunday school teacher, was a bit concerned about this boy who was stacking shelves in a shoe shop. I think it's quite an incredible story. It just really shows what happens if you pass on that pattern to the next generation. So I'm just going to end it there. I'm going to ask Chris if he can and, and, and join me. And just finally leave you with saying, just think of the potential that we have within this room. The, the potential to impact on other people. That saying that I read about, about an apple. You, you, you only know how many seeds are in one apple, but only God knows how many apples can come from those particular seeds. Just think of the potential that we may have in this particular room. The potential you have to impact one life or, or millions of lives uh, while you're here on this earth. And, and the huge impact that could have in total. My voice is just about given up. So. <laughs> well done, Thank you. Um, can we have the band back? Is that okay? We've got some time this morning, so I'd encourage you just to have a think about that for a minute. We're not trying to lay anything on you, we're not trying to be heavy, but just see what God says to you. See what he's saying to you. I think what we're going to do is we're going to just stand and we're going to sing another song, if that's okay, and then we're going to move into a time of praying for each other, asking God what he's going to do, and maybe call a few people forward to pray for. So why don't you stand up and we're going to sing together. Oh